Hello, and welcome to Talking Talk, podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm, I'm here, here today to say. with... <laughs> we're the best podcast in the USA! No, um... I'm leaving that in. I'm, uh... Yeah. <laughs> False advertising. Who am I here today with? We don't even TJ. Know. Yeah. Chris. Hello. David's still with us? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All four of us in the house. And we're going to be talking about things we've been watching. And then we're going to talk about news. And then we're going to talk about things to be watching. On TV. Um, we're going to start on our watch list. And I'm going to start today with Chris. Ooh. What you been watching, Chris? Hiya, friends. <clears throat> I watched Hello. five movies and a TV show. Oh, cool. Everything sounds like rap lyrics. That's, song, that's a Beastie Boys song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two turntables and microphone. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I'll start... Oh, that's right. That's back. Three MCs and one DJ. That's what you're... <laughs> Three TVs and one DJ. Welcome to Singy Sing. All right, Chris. Cool. Who's next? <laughs> Rappy rap. I'm going to start at the bottom. I watched the 2018 movie uh, Bad Samaritan. It was directed by Dean Devlin, who you oh. know from uh, Oh yeah, who you know from Geostorm fame. The, <laughs> oh no, the, the movie without without its titular item. What is Bad Samaritan about? I don't remember this. Are there is there at least a Bad Samaritan in it? Probably. Yes. Not. All right, cool. <laughs> There's a Bad Samaritan in it. I was going to report <laughs> that uh, Dean Devlin has learned how to title movies. Uh, <laughs> so step one, figured it out. Finally. So. So the, the, these two valets outside kind of a nice Italian restaurant in Portland, and they run a scheme where they, uh, you know, when people go in, they, like, hop in their nice cars. If they have GPS, hit the home button, and if it's close, they go and rob them. Oh. I remember the, I'm sorry. I remember the preview for this coming out. Doesn't this have David Tennant in it? Yeah, it has David Tennant in it. Hmm. Um, and he's he's the best part about it. Um, it also has Robert Sheehan, who right. you remember from Misfits, Misfits, if you saw it. He plays the small mousy guy. Um, <clears throat> but so they, they do this, and then uh, David Tennant comes in with a Maserati, and they're like, "Oh fuck yeah, let's do it!" And then uh, it's Robert Sheehan. Uh, he goes and is robbing the house. It's like weird, and all the lights are off, and everything seems like. Uh, everything's controlled by control panels, just like super nice, up to date like architecture, mm-hmm. and is in his office, like calling to activate his his black card, and the lights flip on, and there's a woman who's tied up in a chair, um, who he's who David Tennant has kidnapped. So <clears throat> it unfolds from there. David Tennant finds out that they broke into his house, and. It's bad. Oh, it's disappointing. It sounds like an okay premise. It yeah. is an okay premise. I, I, I do like the... I'm sure that it's been... Th- that plot device, the valets rob people, has been done before. Dean Devlin probably wrote this movie because he like valeted his car once and was like, what if they broke into my house right now? Because I'm Dean Devlin. I'm important. I make geostorms. It's a cool idea. And like modern technology makes that more interesting. Yeah. About you know how, how it would be easier to do that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's everything from, you know... Like they only rob people who, when they look at the, uh, when they look at the car, like navigation system, if they can hit it and there's a home button and it directs them home. Um, so there's there's some modern trappings like that. Uh, it is just, 
It's not poorly acted. There's the the main female lead, uh, Jacqueline Byers, and you know David Tennant's fine in it. It's just so paper thin. Yeah. It's, it's got a storm's problem. Honestly. Yeah, there's just nothing on on it's all surface. Like it's it's the it's it's got the TV trope problem of dumb cops. Of like, why we believe you? You've got a couple priors, and it's like, are you fucking kidding? He's got a photo of the woman tied up. He's like, that could be Photoshop. And as much as I don't like to criticize the movie for like plot holes, the whole thing is a plot hole. Like an hour and a half, not an hour and a half, hour and fifteen minutes into the movie, you find out David Tennant might be the serial killer they've been tracking for twenty years. Like the first mention of it. Yeah. You get these really shitty flashbacks of David Tennant as the as a kid, uh, having a like traumatic flashbacks of him training a horse. Um, Is David Tennant not have an alarm system at his house? Uh, Do they write that in some tech techy way? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. So all that technology, but, but no. <laughs> he has uh, cameras that he can control from his phone remotely, so he can check in on the woman he's kidnapped. Um, everything in his house he can control remotely from any computer in the world. Um, <laughs> but if you walk through the front door and he's not home, there's got no way of knowing you're there. <laughs> it's a hole in his security. Forgetting that one thing walking out the door to go to the restaurant. Did I forget something? Oh yeah, I have a million dollar house and no alarm. <laughs> Kevin! There's no west wall on my house. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really just... Oh no, I forgot a roof. <laughs> Like TJ, you watched Geostorm, right? I did. Some of the action, <laughs> some of the action and the effects were neat. Sure. I really think that what Dean Devlin could do well is action, high budget CGI, because there are some very like this is not a movie that lends well to action, to like fighting and fisticuffs and you know choreography. But like the one, the one or two times when there's actually fighting, it's done well. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's, you know, visceral and brutal in a way that you're not expecting. Um, but that's really the only high point. Uh, I, I, I did kind of jokingly give this an extra half star on Letterboxd because uh, they nailed the title. Because Robert Sheen's character, he robs people, but then he helps this woman, so he's the bad Samaritan. Uh-huh. Well, that sounds bad. John Samaritan. <laughs> so I watched... Tell us about something better. I'll tell you about something marginally better. <laughs> okay. I watched uh, the Alicia Vikander uh, Tomb Raider. Oh, I how was that. it? It was okay. It was okay. Um, sounds pretty I bet, good. I for... bet there were more like cheeky moments for you that kind of made you go like, eh. yeah, because you played all the games. Yeah, I didn't play all the well, classic, and I haven't played. I played the game that they used as the source for this movie. Well, okay, the um, rebooted Tomb Raider. Yeah, the the original rebooted. I haven't played Rise of the Tomb Raider or Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Me neither. But that reboot is so fucking good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and they there's lots of Easter eggs that are the fun like ha moments. Right. Uh, like the way that they they like force the camera to swing behind her at times when during big action set pieces. The way that you would have a third person camera perspective. Yeah. And it's subtle. It's not like the Doom first person force. Oh, right. Um, the plane scene was really well shot, I remember thinking. Yeah. At the top of the waterfall? Because they do the waterfall this, scene this from, from the, the, game. From yeah. the yeah. game. I assume it was mostly from the game. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. It's. I know that casual moviegoers got a little. Not upset, but they were like. They rolled their eyes when it got sci fi. At the end, sorry to spoil it, but it's That's a Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider, Raider, yeah. Yeah. Tomb Raider yeah. always got sci-fi at the end. 
It was always some ancient curse. It was always some alien something. It turned out to be real. Yeah, it was always some like demonic invasion. Always supernatural right. kinds of stuff. You know, Uncharted does the same thing in the video games, and yeah. I, I think they're both sort of throw and, uh, <coughs> true to Indiana Jones in that way. Yeah. I was about to say, spoiler alert for Indiana Jones, it's the same path. Uh, Walton Goggins is underused, criminally underused. Yeah, I remember when I watched it thinking that, like, oh, is he bad or good from somebody who doesn't know mm-hmm. any plot of the story that was coming? And they immediately answered that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was ambiguous here because it's Walter Goggins and he's great. And he quickly realized he's awful. Yeah. There, there's also a plot turn. Like, a- after the events of the movie, the, like, do we own all these companies? And then she sees it like they own, like, Petro. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, I didn't understand. Totally forgettable. Well, I don't understand. Like, not that I don't understand it. But I don't get what it is supposed to mean because, like, she, she, they go to the island. All, this this company and like Trinity is like clearly influencing this company, and then it takes her till she gets back to the boardroom is literally le- reading out of a five thousand page ledger of all the companies that they own, and like randomly flips to the page of the company whose brands are on all the boxes and the cans of food uh, on the island. And is like, oh my god, I can't believe we own this. It's like, what the, f- like, what do you expect? Like, what? Look at the size of the binder you're looking at. Like, you guys own. You have to own every country on the every company on the planet. This thing is gigantic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah they, they take an, an hour and a half to get to a tomb. That's where it fucks up. Is it a? Uh, how does it rate among video game movies? Pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know, uh, you know top I, ten all time. Yeah, better yeah. than Assassin's Creed. Yeah, good. Assassin's Creed was dog shit. Yeah, uh, I, I talk about thirds instead of ranking, and I think it's probably upper third, probably yeah. the middle there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but yeah, there's that. Don't watch it. I mean, if you really like those two meter games, it's fine. Alicia Vikander gets the shit kicked out of her, which Jeez. is which is cool for the video game because that's, that's the whole first video game is the reboot. She's yeah. becoming the Tomb Raider. And one thing that I really liked is, you know, in the first game, mm-hmm. in the reboot, she kind of agonizes once she kills her first person. Mm-hmm. They have that in this. Okay. Like, she's, like, emotionally destroyed when she has to kill somebody. Like, he was, he's coming to, like, he's, he, like, chokes her out mm-hmm. and is about to, and she ends up killing him by drowning him. She's just, like, freaked the fuck out. Which is a cool thing, because she's not supposed to be this weapon. She's just a yeah. brat who wound up on this island and is like, well, now i got to do what i got to do. In the game, it grounds her character and kind of differentiates herself from the uh, from the previous games, where she just had, like, dual machine guns. She's just, like, you know, a spoiled adventurer. Yeah. She's, she's like, a, like a, a reluctant assassin, almost. Not even assassin, but, like, a reluctant... She's just reluctant about everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but anyway, moving on from Terminator. I watched... Let's see what's next. Uh, Netflix original, Outlaw King. You've mm. probably seen this flash up on your uh, your Netflix with a long, loud trailer with horses and Scottish accents. I've been almost about to watch it so many different times. <laughs> and then I was like, ooh, Chris Pine is Scottish accent. I don't know. <laughs> It's it's okay because he plays uh, Robert the Bruce, mm-hmm. and Robert the Bruce is like he's Breton Scottish, mm-hmm. so he they don't he's in a role where his Scottish accent doesn't have to be super pronounced, mm-hmm. um, but it's pretty good. So it looks like it from the trailer. It looked like it pretty much picked up where Braveheart left off. So if so, it picks up. So William Wallace has gone into hiding, 
So it's right before, in Braveheart, right before William Wallace gets captured. Okay. So that's where the movie picks up in Outlaw King. So it goes goes through the time of his torture and death. Right, but they don't cover it. Right. All of a sudden, William Wallace is dead, and he's strung up. And you know how they say at a, at the end of Braveheart that, that his body was sent to four corners of Scotland. Yeah. They're at one of the corners, and they see like a piece of him hanging on a okay. cross. Um, and that's like ten minutes into the movie. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, the battle scenes are impressive. You know, Netflix has got a fucking budget now. Mm-hmm. Um, the as much money as any studio. Yeah, uh, it's wild that that happened yeah. so fast. <laughs> so the the story is about uh, you know Scotland declaring its own king, uh, despite England not recognizing one. Hence the title. Right, I'm big in the titles. Um, <laughs> B- Bad Samaritan. Robert Sheen's Bad Samaritan. Alicia Vikander's a Tomb Raider. Chris <laughs> Pine is an outlaw king. Uh, there are no geostorms, but. <laughs> Oh great! Um, but yeah, it's it's good. It's it's kind of a throwaway like epic. Um, you know, if you like the story of Braveheart, you like knights and horses. You know, it's got all that shit. Um, there's a I forget the 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 character name from Braveheart, but the guy that it's my island guy, mm-hmm. like the comic relief. The, oh yeah, yeah. There's a character. This right? Then the actor in it? Uh, he might be. I think he plays uh, the other king. Okay, Robert the Bruce's brother. Uh, Bruce the Bruce, <laughs> but the uh, there's a guy like that in this, and he you know steals scenes that he's in. He's uh, Douglas. His last name is Douglas. And the opening scene, uh, the king forsakes his name, uh, the English king. He's like, I don't want to hear the name Douglas ever again, and like renames him. And so every time this guy goes into battle, he just screams his name. So he's <laughs> just walking around going Douglas, <laughs> like killing people. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, I'm sure the movie's good. Yeah, it looked. Fine. I like Chris Pine a lot too. Yes. I do. Yeah. It is it is a it is a worthwhile watch. Uh you know, it's not a waste of two hours. Uh you might forget about it shortly after, but it's fun. And it's the the violence isn't too gruesome, uh, which is, you know, some people's problems with war movies, but different from Braveheart. Yeah. Um, how was Aaron Taylor Johnson in it? I'm curious as to his <laughs> career path. He's the guy from uh oh he plays Douglas he's the guy who I really oh, like okay oh, he's fantastic he's, he's been he's been he, unrecognizable oh uh, really he has a beard he has a full beard like long hair like their teeth are all fucked up like they they went through a lot of makeup he was really good in that movie that was incredibly hard to watch that David hated from a couple years ago what's it called Nocturnal Animals yeah oh. he was really good in that uh James Cosmo is the guy who was in Braveheart right that guy's in Braveheart yes. Yeah, yeah. He he plays the the older Scottish guy whose son dies in battle okay. in Braveheart, right? Um, but yeah, he's in this. He plays a he plays a uh, the English king. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. So there's that, and then I've got two movies I watched that are uh, the top of the heap of shit that I watched. Um, I watched uh, the Kindergarten Teacher, and I watched Leave No Trace. What's the kindergarten teacher? I don't know what that is. Maggie Gyllenhaal. <clears throat> Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. That movie looks crazy. Maggie Gyllenhaal is a fucking creep. <laughs> uh, like a savant kid. Yeah, there's a savant kid who's like, uncle has come over and from time to time they read like poems together. And so this kid, just like like a five-year-old, just 
with an imagination instead of playing with toys and like playing pretend he just kind of like composes poems in his head and almost like in like as it seems like an idiot savant or like an autistic tick he like paces back and forth in like a room and he just starts reciting it and maggie gyllenhaal becomes more and more obsessed with him uh and yeah that's basically the movie wow um they look good. They yeah. Look fucking weird. It's good. It drags. Um, and it's also like really hard to watch. Because the part that the trailers don't show is that Maggie Gyllenhaal is also passing these poems off as her own mm-hmm. in a poetry class <clears throat> that she's attending where like there's no graduation. Like you don't it's just like a thing you're going to. Uh, she's so, one of those people. So like there's no reason to flex like that. It's like the people that cheat at trivia that don't do it for the money. Yeah. They just want to impress the people at the table. Yeah. The worst. <laughs> um, Gael Garcia Bernal's, uh, the, the teacher that poetry class, he's good. He's also a creep. Everyone in this movie is kind of a creep, except for her husband. Um, Who just loves creeps. And creeps. <clears throat> no, he's just like, well, my wife is a teacher. She's got a liberal arts degree, and like our kids are going off to college. So you like hardly see him, and like whenever they have a moment alone, he's like, eh, like sex time? She's always like, "No, I'm too occupied." Um, but would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. Okay. I would recommend it. I think. I think it's. She's really good in it. It's also a good movie just for the fact of storytelling. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that way. The. Uh, I, I think it, it gets out of you know, stereotyping a lot of characters. Um. You know, there's no like it's it's obviously like a an upper crust New York school, and <clears throat> this is I don't know why I keep this is like more like rich people problems movies, mm-hmm. like a uh, private life. Um, but yeah, it's good. Joan Hall's great. I like Maggie Joan Hall. I think she does really well in that. Like, uh, you know, ninety nine of all the pieces are there, but that one piece that it's a big piece. It's a big piece that's missing, and it's rotted <laughs> everything around it. Yeah. Like her character in Secretary, like this. Frank. Yeah. Character in Frank. Anybody ever see Sherry Baby? No. I've seen it. She's supposed to be amazing in that, too. Yeah. I've never saw it. She's a good actress. Yeah, she was really good. She seems to also uh, carefully choose roles, too, because I don't see her in a lot of throwaway parts. There's like. a uh, one of my favorite SNL Weekend Update jokes ever was the announcement that Maggie Gyllenhaal and Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard, we're going to have a baby. Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard. And it was going to be a small, independently produced child. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else, Chris? So then I watched Leave No Trace. Uh, I'm so excited about this. Ben Foster, it's a... Now, what surprised me is that Ben Foster stars in a movie that is rated PG. I mean, yeah, there's there's really no... uh, I just assume if you have Ben Foster on the set, <laughs> and he's, he's just gonna, quietly he, menacing that child, he's gonna be like screaming the f word while he stabs someone to death at some point in every movie he's in. It's, but not this one. Just picture his face shaking with rage, like, yeah. So it's all that is diffused before the movie starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, his character is a war vet um, who, it's clear, was tumbled around in the system for a while. Um, has a daughter. They live out in a national park in a little campsite they created. Mm-hmm. Are they um, living there illegally? I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Um, apparently, you're not allowed to live on on uh, federal land. Right. It's like a sixty day limit or something. Yeah. yeah. So 
you know, he and his daughter have a great relationship and this is home to them. So like when they interact with people and they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like you're, you're homeless. Like, I'm sorry. They're like, we're not homeless. Like we have a home. Right. You know, it's clear that their life isn't glamorous and that they, they spend some nights hungry, but it's, it's temporary. Um, and so then the movie kind of starts when, uh, they get discovered by a jogger and then they get pulled back into the system. Um, and the Fucking joggers, yeah, <laughs> ruining everything. Uh, the young woman in it, uh, Thomason McKenzie, is fantastic. Oh, good. Um, it's the, the story is kind of about she her. has to be for the reviews to be this good. Yeah, the story is about her with her dad as the foil. Um, something about his anxiety and his PTSD. He has to move uh, kind of frequently. Like he he's never comfortable staying in one spot for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then once they get picked up by the system, it's kind of Thomason McKenzie and. Ben Foster's character butting heads about like, well, I like it here, Dad, and him saying, but we have to go, and we can't rely on these people. I think that this is a really good movie. It picked up a couple Spirit Award uh, nominations and a win. I think it, I think it got a couple wins. Um, it was in like the, the the bottom. Well, the Spirit Awards aren't until the day before the Academy Awards. You got, but maybe Gotham or uh, the nominated the Spirit yeah. Awards. Oh nominations. yeah, yeah, nominations, yeah. You've got nominations. Um, the nominations come out. Like five months before the awards, it's yeah. real weird. Um, but I like that they do because it gives me movies to watch, and yeah, it's you know every Most Oscars would do it. All that momentum starts as a pebble rolling down a hill. So uh, a movie like this, I wouldn't be surprised if you know it picked something up mm-hmm. um, at the Academy. I would also not be surprised if it picked nothing up. What platform did you see it on? I paid a couple bucks to watch it on Amazon Prime. Okay. It is uh, the second most reviewed film on Rotten Tomatoes with a hundred percent score. Wow. Yeah, it is. I saw when it, it's it's the only film to get a hundred percent and maintain it uh, as of the time that I it's read that blur. hundred percent still. But that, you know, if you're curious about it, that just means that you might not love it, but you will definitely like it. Yeah, everybody seems to like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just curious about the filmmaker. Deborah Granick had Winner's Bone in 2010 and loved that movie. Oh, yeah. And this is her follow-up. It's the full eight years later. She's, she's Okay. She's done a couple things in between, but they were small. Because I was trying to look it up. Because I always like, like, Letterboxd is really fun because it'll tell you, like, when you click on the director, like, you've seen X out of X of this director's yeah, movies. I like that. So I like to see, like, oh, should I go ahead and say that I've watched Winner's Bone? Because then I can say I've done two out of two of Deborah Granick. There's some other stuff in there. Yeah, she's done two documentaries, one for TV. Hmm. That's it. Um, between Winter's Bone and the Adventure. Well, just, yeah, I did not know she directed this movie. That sold me even more on this movie because I love Winter's Bone. Yeah, and this is, I mean, she's filming in, in like, the national parks in Portland. So the, the scenery is gorgeous. The cinematography is not easy, but, like, it's, you've got lots to work with to frame a scene well. Um, and it's, it's, uh, really heartwarming, heartbreaking, everything heart related story. And there's no, there's no rage except for quiet rage. Um, and Ben Foster does that well. She also directed Down to the Bone. That's, uh, the movie that launched Mira Formiga. Oh, That's yeah. I've always <clears throat> Those are her three films, so. Hmm. Looks good for Thomas and McKenzie. Yeah. If she can follow up Vera Formiga and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> Deborah Granick is kind of a queen maker, it looks like. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, what was the TV show you watched? TV show I watched, I'll go through quickly because it's kind of more of the same. Uh, I watched the the whole first season of Narcos Mexico. 
Um, they branched off from the... Uh, I guess they want to keep the Narcos season. Uh, it's on Netflix. The Narcos season just about uh, Colombia and South America. And so they did Narcos Mexico, which is about the cartel in Mexico. Michael Pena? Michael Pena is the, the lead DEA agent. Um, and Diego, Diego Luna is the lead... Uh, Drug guy. They're both love, really good. Love both those guys. Yeah. Me too. So I, I had no idea it was a spinoff. I just thought the new season was called Netflix Mark. Or yeah, I did too. <laughs> the new season was called Netflix Marcos Drugs. Netflix Narcos. <laughs> so it jumps it jumps forward in 1982, mm-hmm. and uh, Diego Luna is uh, the Thin Man. That, that's his like name, his nickname, uh, and he's basically just instead of. Where uh, Escobar was ruling by force and by intimidation, uh, Luna is just hyper intelligent, and it kind of tracks the formation of the first drug cartel, Mexican drug cartel, mm. um, and it's all Diego Luna's character's idea. He's like, you know, we'll get you together, you'll provide this; you together, you provide this; you together, you provide this, and we'll all split evenly. Anyone's loss is all of our loss, so that you know, no one gets hit hard. Because they're facing a climate where Mexico's not really doing anything about the people, but if they find a weed field, they just burn it. <laughs> and so they have this idea like, well, we can just make a field in the middle of the desert, no one will find it. And one of the other guys with Diego Luna is super smart, uh, and he's, uh, like, for some reason he knows, like, the geology, and is like, like, just because it's in the desert doesn't mean there aren't aquifers below the desert. And so they like tap into that and build like a super field. Fun sounds fascinating. Yeah, um, I'm curious just because uh, diving into narco sounds a little imposing right now because of all the seasons and you know it's heavily foreign language. Yeah. for a second screen watch, could you watch this one as your first entry, or Absolutely. is there a lot of presumed knowledge? Absolutely, you can watch this as your first entry. Oh, okay, um, interesting. <clears throat> I think that's why they probably spun it off. Mm. Um, you know, Escobar appears in a scene, and the Cali Cartel, which is from the third season of the original Narcos, appear. But any previous knowledge is not required. Okay, um, is it in English parts. Okay, um, like realistically, yes, so, I guess. So, like Michael Payne is a DEA agent, but he's you know was right. born in Baja. Okay, so he speaks Spanish and English. And they actually make a point of that. I guess it was a really big deal in the Guadalajara DEA office because he was the first uh, Hispanic dude that they had down there to show you how ineffective the DEA was in the 80s, the early 80s. But I recommend it, uh, especially if you're a Narcos head like uh, Kelly and I are. Um, It's also weirdly, like, I don't have a lot of Spanish. You know, did a study abroad for a short period of time. Um, But, uh, you know, there's enough in it that, like, if you, like, miss pieces, you can pick up, you know. They're talking about drugs. There's a lot of cognates. So, sure. you know, if you're the kind of person who has, you know, a second screen on while you're doing other things, you know, you'll miss pieces. But, you know, the important stuff is are the plot points. It's told still from the perspective of the narrator from uh, Narcos, the DE agent from that first season. Um, and so it, he's it's, like, telling the story of how this came to be still as the frame and that still persists so you'll still get all the big beats um but yeah it's really good i recommend it and i'm sorry for taking up all your time but i watch a lot of stuff now yeah yeah awesome it's oscar season so i get excited right um let's go to tj next what'd you watch i watched a couple of movies that i'm i think i share with with some of y'all uh but i rewatched one tv show and i've just got one point to make about it and i'm curious just to y'all y'all's view on that point 
I rewatched Sherlock all the way through. The BBC, the newest one. Mm-hmm. It's the best iteration of those stories, by the way. Like, by far, I've decided. They're so good. Until Sherlock and Watson comes out. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, originally, my watch, though, doing that thing me and Brent started doing before the podcast of, like, who wins movies, like Gold, Silver, Bronze, or whatever. It was always Cumberbatch, Freeman, and then, like, you could have a fun conversation about the third. Probably the guy who plays Moriarty. Mm-hmm. It's really good. But his sister in the last episode is incredible. Um, Mary Watson's incredible too but on the rewatch I realized it is definitely a gold medal for Martin Freeman hmm. the rewatch he is so fucking good uh, in that series and Brent hasn't seen series 4 yet so he doesn't know one big plot turn I think but the uh, emotions that Martin Freeman has to go through is so fun in that mm. with all the shit with his wife and hmm. baby and everything are y'all have y'all both seen all of it I've not. I fell off of it in meaning to catch back up. I saw the first couple. I think the last one I saw it may have been the Reichenbach Falls, and then the next episode after that. Okay, so that's the end of season two. two. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw the first one of season three, but fell off. I've seen series three. I think I've seen the first episode of series four, but I haven't seen all. You also definitely finished four of the best series. Oh, okay. Wow! Wow. What would you have placed as the best of the ones we've seen? I, I, I think one, one. Yeah, one, three, two was probably the order I would go in. Like two is probably the weakest. It's still incredible. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you haven't ever seen that, definitely go check it out. It's uh, the guy who plays Mycroft. I forget his name right now, but he's the creator of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good. Stephen Moffat. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that's who. I didn't know he played Mycroft. Yeah. Nice. Um, Minecraft. Yeah. Really, really good. The best the best episode of the series is the finale, I think. Um, That's neat. Phenomenal, twisty, really fun. It's pretty much everything you like about the whole show and the whole show in one episode. Cool. Then I watched a couple of movies. Um, one documentary. One, uh, it's a drama, I guess. It's got an outside shot of getting nominated at the Academy Awards, but it's uh, been cleaning up so far in the first... Four things, uh, mainly for the love of Regina Hall, not Regina King, who is in Bill Street and Talk, and will probably also win awards. But I watched Support the Girls. Uh, Brent, I believe you watched it too. I uh, did watch this movie. Really, really good. I agree. I really liked it a lot. I think it's classified as a comedy, which is a weird classification. I laughed some. I did. I thought there were some. It was also heartbreaking. Funny parts. Many, many moments. But it's also a drama. It is a, real quick, the, you're not going to want to watch it when you pull up anything. It's on IMDb and like Vudu or Google Play or Amazon. It's going to have a low user rating, like probably around the fives. Because the movie looks like a slapstick comedy, like kind of like Waiting. Mm. Y'all remember that movie? Yep. And it is so far different from what it looks like from the cover. And knowing that Regina Hall's in like the scary movies. You know what I mean? Right. She's not... I didn't know her from anything, really. She's the black girl in scary movies. And she's Girl's Trip. <clears throat> girl's Trip. One of the better from Girl's Trip. Oh, Trip. Scary mm-hmm. Movies, the series. Yeah. The scary Movie. Okay. The scary, scary movie. Not I just like... She's in that, spooky movies. That's right. what I'm saying. She's in that kind of shit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Like spoof movies. Oh, wow. I'm way more impressed now with her performance in this movie. I think Peter Travers said, and I'm not a fan of Peter Travers, but he said one thing. It was just like, oh, this made me realize that Regina Hall has been misused her entire career. Yeah. Um, the movie's phenomenal. It is 
the theme is phenomenal, I'll say that. The movie might not be phenomenal. But the theme is pretty much a look in at a restaurant, a Hooters restaurant. Mm-hmm. Sports bar where the girls wear little clothes. A restaurant. Yeah, a restaurant. <laughs> and that's uh, a thing. That's a yeah, term for it. Was what they said in the movie. Like it. I don't like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Uh, I mean, I don't like those types of places. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it ends up being a super cool look at how women and black people are dealt with in a current day America. And you kind of, it kind of without explicitly telling you makes you realize like, oh, our whole country is a fucking tilted kilt. Pretty much. <laughs> it's it's not a uniquely African American cast. So like it's, uh, there's two main African Predominantly characters. white. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it does a good job of exploring both of those things. Um, I thought Regina Hall was fantastic. And then uh, it has uh, one of my favorite young actresses in Hollywood, uh, Haley Lou Richardson, playing a very peppy uh, waitress at the restaurant. HLR. Yeah. Of Columbus. Of, yeah, we David and I really loved her in Columbus. Yeah. She's also really good Terrible. in Edge of 17. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I thought the movie did a really good job. Well, so it's it's mainly about Regina Hall plays the the GM of the the restaurant, and kind of just uh, takes us through all the shit that she has to deal with, and um, there's an underlying sadness to a place like this that's really, but it does the movie does a really good job. It doesn't really wallow in that sadness. It just it lets you know that it's there. And all these people are just trying to be as professional as possible in the face of it. In the face of the the kind of customers who come in there all the time and want to stare at them. And you get these, not to bring politics into the podcast, but you get these people that are like, like the owner has a one black waitress on shift at any time policy. Mm -hmm. And he sees that as like, I'm not being racist, I'm being diverse. This way we can always have one black waitress. You know what I mean? And it's like, shit. That's the, like, that's so good that these people who are racist don't think they're racist. You know what I mean? And then you get it with the customers, too, where it's just like, they'll say things. They'll just be like, nice boobs. And the girls, like, throw it off. It's like, oh, that's sexual assault. <laughs> it's so, like, perfect. Yeah, there, there's, uh, they're training some young servers at the beginning of the movie, some new servers, and uh, one of them asked, do guys ever grab you? And uh, it's Haley Lou Richardson's character. She she says, you know, maybe when they've been served too much, maybe when they've uh, drank too much, but, you know... There are things you can do you'll to... Learn little techniques to just sort of shimmy away from them when it's coming, and so... Yeah. It's like, you know, it really is sort of... Totally a, accepting of, like, it's just what happens... Is it like a microcosm of the of America before the Me Too movement? Yes. Um, really well done, but with like, uh, it, like I said, I don't think it. I think that's the major theme of the movie, but I don't think it it really is so focused on that that it that you can't enjoy the movie. No, it's entertaining. It's it super entertaining. There's like there's there was comedy. A super gross part though. There's a part where they kind of they're some of them are going to interview at this place called Man Cave. It's a similar establishment. That's opened up across town, and uh, yeah, they call in four women at a time to interview for the man cave, and you just see this like when the door opens, you get like a crack of the audition room, and uh, it's a guy with like a tripod camera, and you just see his legs on the couch, and it's just like, ugh. it yeah. just looks so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And the girls keep going in and like walking out and they're all like tight clothed and you're just like so gross. Yeah. But yeah. It's <laughs> it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. It's it's at the moment in my top ten for the year. Yeah, and, and for like a, again, for the thematic depth of the movie, it kind of felt like a a bit of a breezy watch com, you know, comparatively for a movie that, that deals with themes like that. Yeah. But it's good. It's uh, not streaming anywhere for free right now, but you could rent it on Amazon Prime or Google Play or Vudu for, I think it was three ninety nine. So, spend some money and watch it if you want to. Support the girls. Support the girls. I've been meaning to, I want to check it out, being a HLR fan, as I am. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy, the director, I was just looking him up, Andrew Bujalski. Yeah. Mahalski. He comes out of the, the big mumblecore movement, Joe Swanberg and... Uh, the Duplass brothers. It felt like that. He was times. in Hannah Takes the that. Stairs with you know uh, Mumblecore Queen, Greta Gerwig, and all that. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting that, that he's got to I guess at least this level. Yeah. What else did you see, TJ? Uh, I watched a movie that a year from now I might be calling. I just realized this as we were sitting here. Maybe like my favorite documentary ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Minding the Gap, which is. Making noise so far this award season. It was named a top five doc by the National Board of Review and was named best documentary by New the York New York Film, Film Critics. Um, Brent and David watched it too, I know. So Yeah, I watched it. I know I was very effusive with my praise and told you both watch this movie, you know. It's a, a filmmaker now who, when he was probably 14, it looked like, started filming him and his two buddies and kind of their... Skateboarding crew, I guess, for lack of better words, their family around it. Yep, had a little fisheye lens, you know, on the ground, kind of doing skate uh, videos you've seen. Uh, you can tell from when they were 15 that this guy is incredibly talented with a camera, though. Yeah. Some of the shots of them skateboarding through <laughs> Rockford, Illinois, which is the kind of blue-collar, run-down, super, like, crime-infested city they live in. Yeah. Um, but the shots of them skateboarding through that town in the beginning are jaw-droppingly good. Yeah, the the opening, uh, mon- not a montage, but it's just a sequence of like traveling through the city. Sequence of tracking shots? Breathtakingly yeah. beautiful. It is. I've never seen skateboarding like this. Yeah. And I don't know anything about skateboarding. They look like they knew what they were doing. They seem to be pretty good at yeah. it. <laughs> it's a scene, that watching those scenes at the beginning of the movie already just showed me how much, like, this activity gives them so much freedom. And yeah. they how free they must feel. When they're when they're skateboarding through Rockford, and it does a great job of showing why it kind of breaks down in diagnosis. Like, why does each of them like crave this freedom? Kind of where they come from. And it does. It's just so masterful. These these three stories, you know, the filmmaker's own story, which he kind of uh, reveals, and these two guys, Zach and Kiri. Um, Man, Kiri is one of my favorite characters. He's, he's so incredible. Of 2018, I just, I just want to give that guy a hug and just like. He does that thing where he'll say some really serious shit and laugh after he says it every time. And it's like, oh man, I've been there, dude. Laugh and then bow his head. Yeah, like, like, just in case nobody thinks this is cool, I'll laugh. If they laugh at me, I'll be laughing with them. Like, super obvious. And then, uh, Zach, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just absolutely heartbreaking stories with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible that this kid got his friends to open up the way he did and just be completely honest about so much of their lives when he was 
I think the the documentary in earnest really starts like when he's like seventeen, maybe. Yeah, they have some. They have archives. They have been but... they have been filming each other doing skateboarding tricks for years, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and it follows probably how many years of their lives? Maybe decade, seven decade. or eight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, man, it's just it's it's captivating, and nothing ever so really like happens. It's just them talking and revealing, and yep. you get these moments in interviews that are really good, but one of the last lines of the film sums it up, and it doesn't give away anything. It's Kiri uh, talking to Bing, when he's like, you know, man, this is like free fucking therapy. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, nice. <laughs> yeah, in the end, the, 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 the montage of cutting together all their... Years together with the uh, with the song, the Mountain Goat song. Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. There had been very little music to that point in the movie, and then when it hits late in the movie, it's really effective. Score is also really good, uh, kind of throughout it. Score is really good. Yeah, uh, I, I learned, don't usually notice score in documentary. I don't either. I learned. I saw it in the first three minutes though. I was like, it's good. Yeah, I'm hesitant to like my letterbox review is. I'm really guarding what the movie's really about. Kind of how you should do with uh, Icarus from last year. Not that it's a gotcha, but I really I thought it was one thing, and that it is such a beautiful movie explaining this other issue that touches all three of their lives. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it yeah. either for the same reason. I think it's it's, it's a, maybe to tease that if you think it's just a skateboarding movie and it's just like oh it's just three guys, it's it's way more than that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, I was going to bring this up before you said that, there is kind of a, it was a twist to me, anyway, um, dealing with some of Zach's storylines, um, but I guess the scene where that kind of happens is so heartbreaking. Yeah. So, I think uh, if this were a scripted movie, and I could almost see it being a scripted, not this, but I'm saying like, if if you had, if this were a scripted movie... I'd be talking about it as some of the best character development yeah. in recent years, especially for Kiri. I think, yeah. I mean, for for Zach too. Not, being not maybe not as much, just because sure he's not in it as much. So but, yeah, I, we haven't been completely clear on that. Uh, well, Bing is the filmmaker. Yes, who, yeah. who is one of the three subjects though? Right, Asian kid films as Kiri's his black friend, Zach's his white friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Highly recommend the movie. I loved it. I think it's my favorite documentary in, in a very long time. Maybe ever. Um, it's good in the running. It's uh, entertaining in a way. You know, not like a fun way necessarily, but it's entertaining in that it holds your attention. And you'd never feel like it's work watching it, I don't think. It's my first... <clears throat> it's also 80 minutes long. It's a quick yeah. watch. It's I mean, my it's... first uh, five-star movie of the year. It's probably you know in my top three right now. Yeah, Chris I don't see as much as you guys. But. Chris hasn't seen it yet, but it is five stars from me, Brent, and David. So that's that's pretty rare to, you know. Also, last week's uh, guest on the podcast, Chad, I believe, watched it as well loved and it. loved it as well. Uh, I told Ashley she should watch it, and uh, she she loved it too. So if you don't love it, you're not our friend. So we'll <laughs> say it's streaming free on Hulu. Yeah, it is. Right now. It is on Hulu. Right, it's now. a Hulu production. They got distribution rights for it, yeah. so it's fun for them. Good for them. Hopefully they'll get an Oscar nomination. That'd be cool for, for the company. I really hope definitely it does. For the, I have a huge it's on its way right now. Because also, the the actual filmmaking aspect of it, the editing, 
is outstanding. That's what does it for me, too, and why I think it's so good. And it's why that I had Icarus a few notches down from all three of y'all last year. Is that the luck aspect, which he kind of gets into in this, is yeah. is not something that I find good or bad in a movie. It's nothing I'm going to, you know, use to rate a movie yeah. or recommend a film. But with this, the camera work is so good. And it makes sense. I mean, this guy's been a camera di- assistant and second director on, like, really good movies that we've seen. Yeah, I think he did a lot of... I think he worked a lot in cinematography on uh, the Netflix series Sense8. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, the filming in this is great. And his... One thing, you know, as an interviewer, he was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They find a really interesting uh, structure there, too. Of There's even one time, uh, they just, they're like completely transparent to this thing. The guy's like, should I talk to you, or should I think more? I don't think you're there. Yeah, which one are we doing today? It's so charming, yeah. and it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, so, uh, it's such humble filmmaking that's so like jaw-dropping. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good year for Docs this year. Any year that already has, like, Won't You Be My Neighbor, RBG, Three Identical Strangers that are really high profile. You have some other stuff that's coming, you know, second half of the year that's, like, just as high profile. Like Crime and Punishment? Sure. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> it's called yeah. a segue! I'm done. Yeah. I like, I like the, the, the MTG goes, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> David was about to ask you. <laughs> I'll go next. No, I'm kidding. Let's go with it. What'd you watch? I watched uh, right after Mining the Gap, also on Hulu, I started up uh, Crime and Punishment, and it's also a Hulu production, so good for them. They're kind of killing it. And it's, uh, it was a named best doc at National Board of Review, right? Yeah, it is. Um, so I listened to a, uh, I like the podcast Reply All. I don't know if you guys ever heard yeah, of it from yeah. Gimlet. I listened to it. <clears throat> they did a great uh, series of podcasts about CompStat. Oh, that's what this is about? Yes. The podcast on that is great. So CompStat is like computer statistics for crime. It's like noticing areas of crime and uh, trying to assign police forcing there. And part of the uh, thing that went under fire is there's a racial profiling element to it. And the part that was made illegal in 2010 was you cannot have quotas for these areas or quotas in general. So the it's a huge like like almost billion dollar industry in these big cities of um, issuing people summons for crimes that are going to get dismissed because there's literally no evidence. You're trying to make your stats and you just <clears throat> summons people for an arrest. It drops, but they still pay court fees and they still pay all these fees that end up as like billion dollar revenue for the city. <laughs> I don't know about billions, but it's in that level. So, CompStat is this, this this thing about you should have these many summonses and at least this many arrests in a month. And they, they you know, on the street they're talking about, like, on the 29th and the 30th, you don't want to be on the street just, like, being black or Puerto Rican or Hispanic. Or you're going to get brought into court for nothing, charge is going to get dropped, and you're going to end up paying a lot of money and disrupting whatever job or school you have. <clears throat> So the wow. um, the filmmaking goes through. They're called the NYC Twelve. There's twelve officers who um, were in this class action lawsuit against New York City's uh, police, like commissioned unit, the police officers, or against the city or something like that. <laughs> and uh, you get the backstory on kind of pretty much all these twelve people about um, they start. You know, they file this class action lawsuit. 
to say like the quota system is in place. It was made illegal. It wasn't a bill. It was made law in 2010 that you can't have quotas. It's unconstitutional. But they have these recordings with their officers. This is all like the first half hour. Sure. So it kind of goes from there. <clears throat> they have these uh, hidden recordings with their their supervisors, and they're talking to commissioners and stuff about like uh, you know you have your you're lacking on your your summonses. It's like you need to get your numbers up. It's all about the numbers. And there's such hard evidence that it's still in place there. And these 12 mm-hmm. kind of uh, put their neck out on the line. And the interesting thing after that is it doesn't stop there. That, you know, they, the, the community in kind of like NBC has them on as like, you know, this is so bold to do this. But the movie continues about the retaliation against all of them. Their performance evaluations have, you know, falsehoods. They're, um, you know, in the middle of winter. There's the guy who's wearing, like, a uh, winter hat just because it's, it's, like, 32 degrees. And he said there, there's his uh, sergeant that comes by and is like, uh, you're, out of, you're out of uniform. You're going to get a demerit for this. And he's like, why? It's like because you can only wear a winter hat out of uniform if it's below freezing. And today it's expected to be 38 it's like, but I was here overnight, and it was freezing. It's like, it's from what it's expected to be. And it's so fucked up. The The filmmaking is so, um, like, what they capture is so bold, because a lot of it is, like, cameras being, like, thrown down, because they're obviously doing this um, <clears throat> out of view of police officers. The guy says, like, if you see an SUV, you, you need to, like, lie down in your car and hide your camera, because that's my sergeant, you know. All these guys end up going on uh, personnel monitoring, which means that they're being tracked and they're going to get basically shit on. It's it's fascinating uh, documentary and it is one of those injustice type movies that only people, more people kind of watching these kind of movies and understanding, you know, what's going on can kind of help the problem. And you have all this, you know, combined with the actual New York City, uh, you know, police commissioner saying like, we're not doing quotas, we're reducing crime and then he goes on also like the today show and says like on a press conference like this is bullshit you have kind of like the different stages of power and the the fascinating stuff is like these people's lives like this this uh, female officer takes her daughter to prom and is just like her normal life and these people are like all incredible and well-spoken and then you see their they read like a performance evaluation it's like this guy cannot put sequences together to understand meaning and he's like the most eloquent, like <laughs> cogent point making guy. And it's just obvious this just fucking with him. Yeah. This this will um <clears throat> watching it kind of enrages you, but it needs to. It's kinda of agitprop in that way. I don't know if I'm using that term right, but um uh it's kind of, it's definitely a message type documentary, whereas I guess Mining the Gap is kind of slice of life and has a social issue. Not to say what it is. But this one is definitely uh um, political filmmaking, I think, at its, I don't know about at its best, but it's really compelling. Nice. And for those reasons, you should see it. <laughs> good, good sell. Yeah. I just watched it this morning, so it's really fresh. Yeah. Nice. The, the Reply All, all podcast, does it get into the background of, like, the guy who set up the... It doesn't doesn't go through the history, but it goes, like, it's, if you've listened to that one, it's really interesting, because it's, yeah. like, modern-day impact. So, so part one of the Reply All podcast is... All about the guy whose idea it was to start tracking crime statistics, which is crazy that it wasn't done before. Mm-hmm. Right, and like it, it's it, 
it's his system, and they they talk in the podcast about how like his system worked because when done honestly, it really like it it's what cleaned up New York City, mm-hmm. and now everyone's just so like beholden to the system that was created that used to work that. Now they keep doing it. Because the second part of the reply all, they start talking to some of these cops who are part of the New York 12. It's quantity of, of arrest and quantity of police work instead of uh, <clears throat> actual quality. You see a guy like, uh, you know, come up to a... There's this white cop who's taking this guy out of a bodega and this, this black cop who's part of the NYC 12. You just see him like, come on to the scene, just de-escalate, talk to the guy on his level. It's like, hey, just don't go here, man. You know, you had a beef over here. It's like, we're good. And kind of tells the white police officer we're good, where that could have been, you know, easily the guy could have just arrested everybody just to make his numbers. Right. So, see Crime and Punishment. It's also free on Hulu. Another Hulu production, so... Really impressed with them. Then I saw another documentary. This is documentary week here at <laughs> Talky Talk. Um, you must have missed what I talked about. <laughs> Bad Samaritans. It's about the New York City 12. <laughs> He's really the New York City 13. Yeah, yeah. So um, another, it's a Netflix original documentary that I saw. Um, I think it was nominated for some, some stuff in the documentary awards is Shirkers. Have you guys heard of this? Yes, yeah. Really good reviews. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, you know a film geek and her friends like really pretentious like uh, Jim Jarmusch idolizing people like are in Singapore and they don't have access to like a lot of the indie cinemas going on in the eighties and nineties but are obsessed with it. They go and make their own movie in Singapore, which is kind of unheard of. It's the first. Uh, I think they said it's the only you know road movie that's ever been done in Singapore. Everything else is like. Uh, Kung Fu Exploitation movie. That's the previous most famous movie to come out of Singapore. So they make this movie and they're just like, they're kids. And they kind of scrabble all the resources together and everybody's friends and everybody's everybody's, uh, relatives and everything that they're all just playing parts and wearing all these hats to make this movie. Super pretentious sounding, like very, uh, you know, American indie uh, worshipping. And they have this uh, film teacher who directs this movie, this guy named George, uh, I forgot his last name, but he's this mystery figure at the center of the movie. Because the conceit for the movie is, that guy stole the movie, and then no one ever heard from him again, and no one has ever seen the movie. <laughs> uh, Chad watched this uh, and said it was extremely fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. I don't think it's on the level of the other documentaries I was talking about, but it's just yeah. a slice of life. You know, if you're into those, for something I've, I've never even thought about, it is definitely that. And he stole it, like, didn't they make this in the early 90s or something? Yeah, they made it, like, early 90s, and then he, you know, they, they all went to different uh, schools. They were able to go to, like, NYU and UCLA and these stuff for, like, film programs and whatnot. And he stayed in Singapore, and he was supposed to uh, give them the reels after it was done. And he never did, but would leave these weird voice recordings for them. Or send them a tape of, like, (coughs) static. And, again, this is just the first part of the movie. It goes on from there. They're kind of (coughs) exploring this mystery guy and, like, what happened to him, what happened in their movie. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's also fascinating. Real easy, quick watch and just really compelling uh, characters. Fun. It's just really charming the pretension and ambition of youth that all these guys are um, contemplative of 
of these, like, you know, 16 years later, looking back at who they were back then. Right. And I recommend it. Sweet. Cool. I've got a couple movies that I'll hit on. Uh, one that at least two of you have seen. This is uh, now streaming on Amazon Prime. 2018 movie, Unsane. I got around to watching yeah. Unsane, and that was a fun movie. Uh, have you seen it, Dave? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. Um, Steven, loves Steven, Steven Soderbergh, man. Steven Soderbergh. He, he <laughs> Do whatever the hell he wants. He makes entertaining movies, you yeah. know? They're not always deep, they're not always great, they're, but they're. I feel like they're almost always good. And uh, like Steady four-star. I mean, the last two movies he made were Unsane and Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Unsane is just very fun. Like I said, it's a it's a short movie. It's an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. And uh, really recommend it. Um, it's the year of the Foy. Yeah, Claire Foy. She's, uh, Boy, she, she's good in it. Um, she has some accent problems, but yeah. I also, that doesn't matter to me very much in movies. I know that's a thing. That, how much do accents matter to... Did, that don't bother me, really. No. Yeah. Jay Farrow's good, which is interesting. Jay Farrow is very good in that movie. Yeah. Um, and you, did, you, were you, did you know Matt Damon was in it? Ahead of time? Yeah. No. Yeah, we didn't either. The theater, was, we were just like, Matt Damon! Uh, yeah, I saw... It's like, Matt Damon? Oh, Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're pals. So, uh, and the <laughs> guy that played Josh in The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Got a second movie. Yeah, second movie. Um, First appearance since 98. But yeah, definitely recommend Unsane. Uh, you know, I don't think it's one of the absolute best movies of the year, but I think it's no. a it's a it's a fun movie, and I'm glad it was made. The iPhone thing worked well with the plot of that movie. I didn't even notice it. I completely forgotten that about it, yeah. and did not even pick up on that during the movie. So that's how how well he did it. It made it look kind of like security footage to me, which helped the mm-hmm. you know Unsane part. Yeah, just the. Trying to find out what reality is sure. part. Yeah. So. They do a really good job of that. Of, of making you uh, not quite sure which which way you're leaning towards. Like, is she is she simply being held against her will? Or is she, you know, is this for her good? Because she is uh, delusional. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes back and forth. And you don't really... It's, it's good at building that, that little uh, mystery. And a good ending. Yeah, it has a, has a good ending. Knows how to end the movie, which is good. Um, the other movie uh, I watched uh, is in theaters right now. I had to look at it because it's yet another movie with a five yeah, word. the dumb titles. Five word. Although this one, it's not really an artistic choice to call it this. It's a uh, it's based on a book from years ago that was called this. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which is uh, Melissa McCarthy stars as... Lee Israel, a real life biographer. Does, I did not know what this movie was about. At I listened all. to an interview with the real person on NPR. The trailer is pretty uh, spot on. Yeah, yeah. So Lee Israel was a uh, real life biographer in the uh, 1900s. She wrote some sort of minor, not really great biography. She did like the biography of Estee Lauder and. Uh, it got on, got her onto the New York Times bestseller list, um, but by the late '80s, early '90s, she is uh, living paycheck to paycheck, struggling. She's still trying to write biographies of people that pe- uh, publishers aren't really interested in, and so 
really struggling, can't pay for her, like, cat medicine, can't pay for her uh, rent, even. She should take human medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't she know cat She can't medicine even pay for her cat medicine. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, she, while doing research for a biography she is determined to write, uh, she stumbles across some letters that were written by the person she is writing about. And she uh, tries to sell them, because she needs any money she can get. She tries to sell them at uh, some bookstores. And she finds that the demand isn't really that high for them. But if they were a little juicier, they might pay more money. And so she takes uh, the second letter back home and types a little PS at the bottom. uh, (laughs) And uh, makes it a little more valuable. And gets a lot of money for it. And so this launches her down a path of fabricating letters and uh, from from famous, well, quasi-famous uh, literary um, figures from the past. And from that point, you can kind of see where the movie's going to go. Yeah. Like, there's really only one direction for this to go. I think you're... You mean you were talking about right after you saw it, you were like, oh, another movie that reminded me of a thing in life. Don't commit felonies. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, generally, don't be a fraud. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is that since she's a real-life person, I figure, okay, this movie probably won't end in a hail of bullets because right. I might have heard of that before. <laughs> so I could pretty much see the rest of this movie and how it plays out. So... I think in that respect, the movie doesn't really do anything terribly exciting or, or interesting. She ended up changing her name to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a hell of a twist. But uh, but no, it's... Uh, it's like the... Um, what's the podcast me and you were talking about? The scary stories? Lore? Lore, yeah. <laughs> and that author was Betty Crocker. <laughs> she was the lizard man. Ding, 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 ding. But no, the movie is... Uh, Sort of a run-of-the-mill, you know, crime biography or biopic, but uh, it's made much better by Melissa McCarthy. She's really good in the movie, and uh, you know, she's very deserving of uh, much of the praise that's going her way in this movie. Um, so another actor, the the Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant plays a friend, an uh, an acquaintance that becomes her friend during the movie. Same. Oft predicted Oscar nominee. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't really strike me as that strong of a performance, but it's not weak at all. I mean, it's it's good. He he's a he is a he gives a, a good performance in the movie, but um, for me, it was her that uh, that really shined. And uh, yeah, I think it's probably the best work that I've seen Melissa McCarthy do. But it's I don't think it's way better than Saint Vincent or um, she's really good in Saint Vincent. And it's hard to compare to something like Bridesmaids. Which is just, I mean, the spy different. Yeah, it's really good in the spy. So, uh, I do recommend it. It's probably going to, I mean, I would imagine she is going to be nominated for Best Actress. Um, She's, I don't think. She's dropping a little over the last, like, week. Yeah, I don't think she would earn my vote at this point, having really only seen two probable nominees. But I think Lady Gaga is a much easier um, pick vote for me at this yeah. point, but it's still worth seeing. It's a it's a different side of of uh, Mel Mac. So, ooh, I like that Mel Mac. You guys are always coming up with really good 
shorthand nicknames for people. I, I'm, I'm always behind on it. I'm always you spring them on me during when the mic's on, and I'm always the one over here be like, ooh, like, like clapping like a dumb baby. We've, said, we've been saying Jogo Lebs for years, though. Yeah. <laughs> you you. But you do more than that, though. You well, have yeah. other good ones. But that was the one last podcast we were like, Joe Go Labs. I like it. What about Halo? Yeah, Halo's really good. I like Halo. Um, Flofo Janks. Yeah, Flofo Janks is so good. Classy. <laughs> so, yeah, this is my one. Melmac. Flofo Janks. It's so stupid. Um, <laughs> it's so fun to say that. The movie was robbed. By the way, the person that I want to find, this is. Brent, you can have the floor back in a second. Person I follow the most on Letterboxd is uh, all of their reviews where she's where she watches like a Oscar nominated thing. She calls the Academy cowards because she knows they're not going to nominate Hugh Grant for Best Actor for Paddington Two. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good in Paddington Two. <laughs> I just like following her her campaign of ire. Do you follow Brat Pitt? Is yeah, she's so good. Oh, all, all right. right yeah. There. So uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah that's 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 what i've been watching um and let's move into news you didn't watch any reality tv this week roundup <laughs> reality roundup yep survivor <clears throat> not a ton to talk about on that survivor there's uh two hours the, i think i know i think the reason it was two hours is because this has been a really strong season and I think the first episode, the first half, um, didn't end with a stunning tribal council in any way. And so I think maybe they didn't want to end their week on that. You see why they picked this week to do because they had to do a two-hour week or they were going to be airing Yeah, because they get to decide which, what episode, you know. Yeah, first half. I'm just saying they had to double up at some point because this makes it end on the week before Christmas. Oh, right. Yeah. So they just had to pick which one they wanted to double yeah. up on. The first hour, you know, it's all cast around. If Alec gets immunity, you know, he'll be good. So if the... not, he overplayed his hand, you know, a good bit, and everyone, he does well enough in the challenges that everyone wants him out. It's one of the best challenges I've ever seen, though. Yeah. It was it's really good. good. It... The editing this season is fucking fantastic. Again, during that challenge when the Christian filibuster begins. Yeah. Which oh, is... is so good. Yeah. Poor and Alec. The shots of Alec, like... <laughs> When it comes to him, he goes, God, dude. Yeah. And it's right after he goes, Hey, Jeff, you ever heard of a Reuben sandwich? You heard of a macaroon. Yeah. Um, well, what's with Christian like always going like this at tribal? Like this angle. Uh, going to play great on the, on the podcast. But, man, I tell you all, I've listened to the interviews of Carl and Alec. They can't let Christian to the final three. Because I've listened to all five exit interviews now, and every one of them is like, Christian's great. I love Christian. He's incredible. Yeah. He's so much smarter than me and just so nice. <laughs> Alec was saying it. He was like, Christian's just a solid dude, man. I mean, I can't believe he beat me on that challenge. That was like one of the most impressive things I've seen in my entire life. I was just like, shit, y'all better vote that dude out quick. Yeah. It might be, this week might be the best challenge performance I've ever seen from a single player in that in Christian in that cha- in that challenge because well, him saying that this is the only one I could possibly do <laughs> and to come home and like tell my dad that I did this and he's just breaking down yeah I was like I love you buddy <laughs> although everybody was getting off of it after being on it for like 30 minutes and like Gabby could barely walk and like Alec uh-huh. was puking and Christian was just like 
like hopped off, <laughs> like walked over. He's like ninety pounds too. He doesn't have a lot. Yeah. Of... <laughs> He's just the one to have his feet on the thing. He's just holding himself up. The whole time. When uh, Jeff is taking the necklace off him, and <laughs> Christian doesn't know where to stand, and Jeff says, "Turn around, put your hands behind your back," <laughs> and then Jeff says that as a joke, and Christian does it. And Jeff immediately is like, "Yeah, put your hands back in front of you. You're not. You're not being arrested." <laughs> I love how Christian is is the smartest person in the game, and at times a lovable little idiot. <laughs> and Cassandra, who hates like awkward TV, was so she like got up and walked out of the room during the uh, um, negotiation for Rice. Oh yeah, she was just like, no, 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 this is gonna be bad, and it wasn't that bad, but it did feel going in like it was gonna be like Preps is gonna be like, no. <laughs> yeah, I told TJ Hudson, I think that, like, it's a very good offer. The problem was that I don't think Survivor wants them to live with all, without all that stuff. Right. Like, that's She's like, I can make the rest of the season miserable for everyone if, for some rice. And Jeff's like, yeah, that's not really what people tune in for anymore. <laughs> Why don't you just sit out this challenge? We'll call it a day. It was a good move for her to win back a little will, though. It's about the only way she can do it anymore. Good editing also with Carl, which was the, the most obvious oh, uh, classic case of someone who didn't have power for several weeks in the game, and then their first taste of it. His exit interview, man. They got drunk on power? <laughs> you had these two exit interviews back-to-back. Alec, who obviously knew exactly what was going on, knew he had to win that challenge, knew he was going home. Didn't think there was any way around it. Yeah. And uh, he was like, the edit was kind of creative, but we all knew. Like, he said the four of them came to me right before travel, and they were just like, sorry, man, it was fun. So, he like, everybody knew what was going on. But you get Carl, they were like, Carl was like, were you surprised? And he was like, oh, that was one of the best moves I've ever seen. <laughs> he was just, like, completely shocked. And then Rob was asking him on the podcast, he was like, so why did you leave Gabby out? He was like, because she was friends with Allison. And it was like, yeah, but you had to bring in Christian to get the votes. Didn't you think Christian would tell Gabby? And he was like, yeah, we thought it was possible. <laughs> but there's nobody else. Like, everybody's friends with somebody. And he was just like, why didn't you pick, like, Angelina or Mike? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh, you just weren't thinking out there. Yeah. You're like, it's Allison next. Yeah. I became, can't change my mind. It, it, Carl became king of the game in Carl's mind and yeah. laid it in his hammock for an entire episode <laughs> and just told people what to do. And they got voted out because nobody good, likes that. Not a good route. And then ended up telling Gabby anyway. I was glad to see him. He was the least impressive player left. Yeah, he had his big moment. I'm glad he got his big moment of bing. Because honestly, everybody. And else... then when he got voted out, and Allison and Gabby both bing. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Even Angelina at this point, like I don't think she has a shot to win, and she's she's made too many mistakes. But she's conniving enough that in a the right season, I think she could. And yeah. it's possible that she can fight her way back. She. But other than that, right now you can tell me anybody that's left wins, and I wouldn't be surprised. She sucked up to Carl so hard it was disgusting to watch. It was disgusting. To watch. She was she was literally standing by the hammock swinging him. <laughs> <laughs> she was rocking him in his hammock. Also, I don't know if you know this, but she went to Stanford and Yale. So the she, only, she may not have mentioned that on the show. I feel like that. I hadn't heard it until I heard it one time. Oh, she. The, the Stanford thing came up earlier. It's more, I haven't heard Stanford until you just said it. But I heard Yale this past episode. Oh, yeah. She, she said Yale a couple times. I haven't heard it. Because huh. it's like one of the, the irritating things. It's like, how do you know someone went to Yale? Because they'll fucking tell you. 
Um, still, it's still a good season. It's, I mean, it was always going to be hard to maintain the pace set by the those like middle. Oh, these were fantastic episodes. episodes. But these were still good episodes. Still fun, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm just excited. That I don't know who the winner is. Like, I have no clue right now. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, Gabby lays out the plans in her next time on Survivor? I would be super shocked if she Christian can. goes home with an idol in his pocket. So. It would be very impressive. It would vault Gabby to probably my number one. My, if, if that ends up happening. Here's my Maybe. prediction. Yeah. My prediction is that uh, Gabby, so the in the, we've all seen the next time on Survivor. Yeah. And there's talk of Gabby blindsiding Christian. Um, my guess is, here's my prediction. My prediction is that uh, Gabby floats this idea to others. Mike and Allison decide, yeah, that's a huge move for Gabby. Let's not let Gabby make that move. Let's make that move. So let's get it out there. Maybe try to kill this alliance between Gabby and Christian and vote Gabby out. Sure. You could flush the idol next week. If you're Mike and Allison, you could use that info to take out Gabby and flush the idol. That's how... Yeah. Leave but, Christian alone and but, paranoid. But, but does Christian use his idol for Gabby? I guess not if it means... I don't think certain, so, because he had death for him. Because he wouldn't have, I think he would have told her if that was an option in his mind. Mm-hmm. Once you get down to seven, man, you don't... You're playing it on yourself, yeah. I think. That's the thing, though. We're down to, what, seven or eight people? Eight. It's four-four after Carl... Right. So, I mean, Christian wins one more immunity. He's close to just getting in. Every week you put it off, just scary. Mm-hmm. We have any news? Uh, I didn't pull anything. I didn't really see much going on this no, week. No, there was some. Uh, there was some award stuff, but that got posted on the Facebook group. Go to the Facebook group. Yeah, check sta- that out. State of the Race uh, article by TJ is a really great write up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's a quick little one. Um, there's. I, I know that there was a. Uh, there's some 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 film critic drama that I'm not going to get into, um, but some some critics getting pulled from sites because they uh, or one critic getting pulled from a site, uh, Edelstein Julian Edelstein yeah uh, for some insensitive comments about a movie oh. containing rape yeah um, I heard know, about it that's out there if you want to look at like something that'll go away critics pretty quick. is it David Edelstein David Edelstein that's yeah. who it is um, you know Julian crit- Edelman. <laughs> Yeah, where you were to go. Yep. Sorry, your fantasy receiver. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's out there. You can read up when you want it. You know, we don't... Somebody... Uh, oh, never mind. Somebody died, but it was Bush one. Yeah. There are, and there are Actually, few... there was a major, like, Italian director. Yeah, there um, are a few filmmakers. Okay. Passed yeah. away this week. Okay. But... Well, cool. What's coming out? Um, Not a lot. Yeah. So we have a weird recommendation, a, a non-theater recommendation where... Recommending you stay home, get out, see something we've recommended in the past if you haven't, or catch up on some things that you that have slipped through the cracks. Crime and Punishment and the Minding the Gap are both streaming free on Hulu. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is streaming on Netflix. Shirkers on Netflix. Shirkers like is it. on Netflix. Uh, Roma is coming out in two weeks. It'll be streaming on Netflix well before Christmas. Uh, Dolly Parton's got a movie coming to Netflix called Dumplin'. The score, the soundtrack just came out, and Kelly's nuts about it. Nice Dolly Parton musical original. So fun. Um, but yeah, there's a few. Mm-hmm. I would stay home and get caught up on everything or, you can that's already or, streaming, you know, or go or see go see something that the you favorite know, if, released. If you last week, if you went to see Ralph Breaks the Internet and missed Creed Two, go see Creed Two, or vice versa. 
because um, those are, are apparently pretty well liked by audiences. Yeah, for Ralph Breaks the Internet is is cleaning up. Uh, it's getting great reviews, made a bunch of money. Uh, it's gonna make that. Uh, it's making the animated race interesting. I, I think it might because I think Spider Man's gonna do great too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's weird. It's gonna leave Isle of the Dogs, Isle of Dogs, like in the dust. Yeah. And then you've got that Japanese film that's getting really good reviews as yeah. well. Mari. Yes, Mari. M a i r i. That does come out this weekend, I think. Um, I would Wherever also it comes out. I would also recommend keep your ear to the ground about a foreign films released. You know, we still haven't gotten the shorter list. Um, it should come out around now. That's that's what the timeline was uh, last year. Was about a month after the foreign submissions. That list whittles down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but still, still no word yet. Um, oh, also, Viz Effects Twenty Five are going to come out. Uh, you know, lots of guilds are going to narrow down their lists to under thirty soon. So. Gold Globes, Gold Gold Noms will be out before you hear from us again. I think. So, um, a little helpful hint to the three of y'all and whoever does this kind of thing: Cold War, mm-hmm. just a foreign film that's. Clean it up so far in award season. There is a Cold War, right? That is streaming on Amazon Prime. That is a foreign film, but it is it's not. not that. And <laughs> just watch thinks it is. Yep. So, uh, but I looked at it and I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> when I saw the cover of it. I was like, this is not the movie. But the New York film critics just said it was the best foreign film. And I like looked it up and I was like, no, it's not. There's two 2018 foreign films called Cold War. Yeah. If one is about the Cold War. One is about a couple who has to call a cult in their house. Yeah. Because which one is nominated? <laughs> because of uh, how foreign films are named when they become Anglicanized, uh, always look for the director. Yeah. yeah. Always look for the director. That information is available. Oftentimes there's missed or bad translations coming over, or the filmmaker has decided not to translate the movie at all in the title. Um, so always look for the director. But yeah, when you go and just watch Look for Cold War, you will see the actual movie, and it says it's streaming on Amazon Prime, but don't get excited like I did for five minutes because oh. it's not. <laughs> that was Talky Talk, podcast for the, me- the media by us. Do it in a wrap. <laughs> Uh, join us next time, where we will be talking about the Paul Schrader film, First Reformed. Um, I'm try to do that. Who knows, people? Give a little taste. Yeah. Mm. Mutter, 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 mutter. Uh, you can uh, follow our website, <coughs> themediabyus.com. Please join our Facebook groups at Movies By Us, TV By Us, and Games By Us. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast on the podcatching app of your choice, that would be helpful. Also give us a rating. We're very appreciative of all ratings and stars you want to bestow upon us. Find us on Twitter. Find us on the emails. Media by us. You know where to do. Uh, and uh, <laughs> all of that. You know where to do. Back to, the, back to the rap. You know where to do. You know where to do. <laughs> you know where to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Last but not least, thank you to the Willow Walkers thank for you. our intro music. Thank you. And thank you to Burifa for the outro music. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you. Bop. Kicking Bye. rocks Bop. down old dusty roads. Small town, slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All